God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is King. Amen. I've been listening through podcasts on the book of Joshua, and it's interesting as God is bringing his people to the promised land, the first victory was just resounding Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. But someone sinned after that. They kept some of the spoils for themselves. And so when they went to the next victory was to be the the city of Ai, when they got there, they were defeated. The Israelites were routed, and it was because of the sin of Achan. And after that was dealt with, they went back to conquer this city. And the king of Ai saw Israel approaching. And this was round two. And as they approached, all of a sudden, as Ai presented his forces, the king and an Israelite there, the Israelites turned tail and ran. The king of Ai thought, my goodness, this is defeat. This is going to be easy, shooting people in the back. And so he takes off after the Israelites thinking, sure, they can conquer Jericho, but they're not conquering Ai. And off he went, and his people followed. The city was all but emptied. But you see, appearances can be deceiving. What Ai and the king forgot is that God is the king over Israel. And he had worked with Joshua that night to put together a plan that in the cover of darkness, they would take 25,000 men and they would hide them in the dark of the west of Ai behind or to the side. And as soon as everyone emptied out of Ai to chase after the Israelites, 25,000 fighting men went and laid devastation across the whole city of Ai. And then all of a sudden the king realizes, as he turns around and as he sees smoke rising, that he's sunk. Now as Israel turns around, he has 25,000 behind him and, and Israel's fighting force in front of him, and he was annihilated. It appeared as if Ai would win the day, but that was all part of God's plan because... Appearances can be deceiving. It seemed as if all was lost, but that was just one step to God's victory. Well, that's pretty neat, right? We can look in history and we can see the beginning and the end. But are you comfortable with a God who rules that way? Who gives the appearance that things are lost when things don't seem to be going well in life in the world? Are you comfortable with the fact that God is still winning even though appearances may be deceiving? That's kind of what leads us to today. This section of scripture really makes us feel like we're in Holy Week of Lent, right? We got Jesus on the cross and and we're on the heels of coming into the season where we start to look at all the things that foretold his coming and the fulfillment of all those things and angels rejoicing God and man in one and he lived the life perfect God proclaimed him to be his own there in the Jordan River you have John the Baptist saying look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world anticipating that's what Jesus would do the miracles the disciples all these things are right in front of of all people to see the world was introduced to the Savior long foretold and God proclaimed him the Father spoke this is my son whom I love listen to him the Holy Spirit anointed him and you have God in man in the flesh But you notice where he is? He's on a cross. You see, it looks as if he's losing. 
It looks as if now on a cross, you see, this is where humans really struggle. If God is truly God, all-powerful, right? Why would you ever allow yourself to suffer anything? Why would you knowingly, even willingly, allow yourself to hang there in such a terrible and shameful way, even giving the impression for a second that you were being defeated, that someone else was in control? That's not the way we think. If you had all power, would there be a second in your life where you would suffer? Would you have to work extra hard, calluses on your hands? If you had all power, how would you use it to make life easy street and maybe help those that help you along the way, right? That's the way we think. So when we see the one who claims to be king, all power and dominion is his there on a cross, and it appears as if he's not coming down, it leads us to question. And that's what the people did. Really, the leaders there, they questioned the validity of Jesus and who he claimed to be. What did they, they say? He said, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah. And really, their words, the end there, spoke truth if he is the Messiah. They said it with their own, their own mouths, but they had witnessed it again and again. They had seen what Jesus was capable of doing. They had heard and even observed and maybe participated in the feeding of the 5,000. The priest couldn't deny when people that were, were deaf or were blind or with leprosy came to them to be checked over that they could see, they could hear, they were clean. They saw this again and again as he proved himself and refuted with clear words of scripture where they stood, the religious leaders of the day, and they didn't like it. They wanted him dead. And then finally he did the unthinkable. He rose someone who was dead for four days to life. Walked right out, Lazarus, right? burial cloth off, and there he would, walked and talked and introduced him to his sisters again, go back and live. They needed him gone. He was taking their power, he was taking their authority, and now they'll put him to the test. If he's truly the Messiah, if he has that kind of power, let's see if he can save himself now. They mocked and doubted him. Well, the soldiers, I mean, that's obvious. They understood as a soldier, a Roman soldier, what people did to kings, right? When the king was conquered, they'd take off his head. They'd, they'd come and they'd present him in front of the people with their foot on his, on his neck. Or, or they would pin him to a tree or, or on the outside of a wall to just mock him. And so then everyone knew, like the king of Ai, what happened to him? He's under a pile of rocks in what used to be the front entry to that city that was just destroyed by God. The, the soldiers looked and said, yeah, he claims he's a king. And if you are king of the Jews, like the sign says above you, save yourself. When Jesus didn't, they thought, well, he's a king that claimed to be the king, but failed. It was obvious to soldiers, right? Because he was dying. He was, he was conquered. Well, and to the criminal, too. The criminal was kind of self-seeking. It's interesting to hear the criminal on the cross looking over and all these people saying these things. This guy in the middle was different, but he was really self-interested. And this is what that criminal said. If you are the Messiah, you are, right? Aren't you? Well, save yourself, and while you're at it, save us. You know, that, that criminal was, was being executed for what he had done. He knew the laws. He had broken them. It was really kind of arrogance, isn't it, that he would say, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself. I want to see it, and while you're at it, save me. As if a criminal can go and ask the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for a favor, for a favor. the criminal had nowhere to stand, yet it was a little bit self-serving, Right? And if you don't help me, then I have no interest in you. I've got more important things to do in this dying. 
And that's kind of where, where we stand, don't we, in this text? We have this king being mocked, being denied, where criminals are self-serving, making demands on the king of kings and the lord of lords. Do you, do you see yourself in any of this? I think we like to direct it out to the world and say, yeah, the world, they stink. They're out there judging that he's not Messiah, but, but they bring claims like, if he is a loving God and all-powerful, why are there wars? Why is anyone going hungry, especially at times like this Thanksgiving, when the world is so generous, when our country is so generous to help those that are hungry? Why doesn't God use his power to end these things? If he is a loving God, I don't see it, so I don't believe it. Or maybe like the soldiers who look at the one who claims to be king, but they see him on a cross, and, and as the world looks at what the Bible says, this was the end of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came to his creation, he ended up on a cross, and there he died. They just shrug their shoulders and say, I don't want to believe in a dead man who couldn't even conquer his visible enemies. He allowed them to do this. He's got no power. But maybe you and I can maybe relate a little closer to that criminal as he was quite self-serving in his request, if, if you can save yourself, do it. And save me too. He wanted what, what he wanted. He wanted to make claim on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And do we sometimes wear that man's shoes? Do we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who searches hearts, who knows that we've done wrong, who knows that we don't give him our whole heart, and we pray to him and we ask of him, and when we see things not going our way, when we see things in the world that don't seem to be as if God is winning or in control, we kind of go our own way. We'll give him some of our heart, but we want to be happy now. We want him to take away the pain. We want him to make things right, and when he doesn't, we maybe don't reject him altogether, but we go and use our heart to follow things that are temporary, that give us some immediate satisfaction. Isn't that what happens? We become of the world because we're in the world and we start to absorb our hearts in the kingdom where cash is king, where image is everything. We work our hardest when it comes to things we can hold in, in our own hands. And, and when it comes to sacrifice and hard work or maybe giving up on something that just isn't right or God says no to, we don't have it anymore. We, we turn the other way. And, and the King of Kings and Lords of Nords knows this. He searches hearts. He knows all things. And to those who sin like criminals, those who sin like, like us, we deserve far worse than crucifixion, right? Because at least in crucifixion, you know there will be an end, finally, the last breath. But, but the punishment that's deserved by sinners has no end. God uses some of the most unusual people and circumstances to preach such profound truths, though. Because we have the, the leaders, we have the the soldiers and we have the criminal but there's this this other guy this other criminal on the other side and and he speaks something to us that just take note of it brothers and sisters it's it's amazing what god the holy spirit had done 
observing all that's going around, all the deniers, and giving all the reasons that they gave for why he isn't Messiah, what did that man who knew he was being justly punished for sins notice? And what did he do? Well, first he rebuked the other criminal. Listen, we're dying for what we deserve. This guy, it's obvious he has done nothing. And then he preaches this amazing confession, this, this nine words in Greek and, and nine words in English. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is what he says in the midst of that kind of suffering. He was a criminal. And he knew that his end was, was soon. And he knew that there was only one hope that he possibly could have as he eked out his last, that this man in the middle might have mercy on him. Looks can be deceiving. Appearances aren't always as they see, as you see. The man in the middle was doing exactly what God had sent him to do. Is it any surprise? God works like that. He loves when his enemies think that they're winning. And then he, in the same exact transaction, has his foot on the neck of the one who thought he won. Isn't that what happened to the devil? He thought that if I put the Son of God to death, it's over. God had wrapped up everything, the whole plan of salvation, into this flesh and blood who is God. And now he's dying and now he's dead. But what did Jesus do? He said, it is finished. Not just his life, but sin is finished. The victory of the devil is finished. The threat of death is finished. And then he went and marched straight down to hell. You do not go to Main Street in your enemy's vicinity unless you are victor. And there he preached to those who were down there and showed them his victory. Real life. And then he rose on the third day because the tomb could not keep him. And he showed himself with convincing proofs again, 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 again with miracles and body that was glorified to show his people eyewitness accounts that we have today to show his victory was sure. But that criminal didn't have to wait for all that to happen. That criminal heard immediate from the Lord who is committed to save and you heard what he did to do it. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That was the assurance that criminal was given. I'm not taking you off the cross. I'm not making the suffering any easier. But what you will get is paradise. Simple faith that looks to Jesus and trusts he is who he claims to be is faith that saves. And paradise, that word used here, is the same derivative of the word used to describe what God made in the beginning when he said it is very good, right? The Garden of Eden. This is the paradise that God has planned for all those he came to save. Simply believe it because it's true. Don't believe what's going on around you as if this world, because there's just so much polarization, there's so much evil and crime and, and it just sinks in. It's so hard to get ahead and we get frustrated or lonely or whatever emotion is affecting you now. It doesn't mean that God is losing. Losing. Looks and feelings can be deceiving. Christ is king. 
That man who, who was suffering on the cross, who confessed his faith and heard words of promise from his Savior, it got worse before it got better because there he hung and eventually he was hanging to the point where his body could no longer breathe, probably was going to drown in his own inside fluids, but it wasn't happening fast enough. So they'll put a wedge in between his knees and snap both of them so he can't push up anymore and then he would die in a gruesome way. But then, a, then an eternity in paradise. Did you notice that? It got bad, and, 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 and then it got perfect. Isn't that just like this world? And it's not that we're sadistic and God wants pain and suffering in our lives, but don't let the things that come your way, the pain or the suffering or the things that disappoint, give you the impression that God isn't winning, that Jesus isn't listening. Really, all we need from him is the same promise that was given to a criminal on a cross. We come to him with our weakness, with our sin. We come to him with our problems and our worries. He listens. He will intervene in the perfect way. And we simply get from him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Whatever that day may be, that promise is guaranteed. You have a Savior who has proved it. Today he comes to you and feeds himself with the same thing that was offered on the cross a few minutes after he gave hope to a criminal. He comes and says, this is for you, given and shed. So don't allow what we might see or what the world might say give the impression that, that anyone but God is winning. Christ is victorious. Christ rules and reigns on your behalf. He guarantees you that you, by faith in him, will experience eternity in paradise. How do we know? How can we be sure it's really simple? It's this. Christ is king. Amen.